Hi, everyone, and welcome to Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. My guest on this episode of ANC Conversations has been covering the Canadian auto industry for more than 50 years. He's been analyzing sales data, job numbers, and Canadian auto production since about the time Lester B. Pearson was Prime Minister. So safe to say he knows a thing or two about automotive. He's now witnessed three trade agreements that affect the Canadian auto industry. There was the Auto Pact, and then NAFTA, and now the USMCA. But in that half century, he's never witnessed anything like the events the auto industry is currently enduring. We'll ask him how the industry, sales in particular, can survive and rebound from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic when we talk to the founder of DeRosier Automotive Consultants, Mr. Dennis DeRosier, who we reached at his summer home in Ontario's cottage country. Dennis, thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Good. Glad to have you. Um, Sales were down 44% in May. I just wonder what your initial reaction was to those numbers. It's fascinating how uh, the entire industry, including me, can be elated by sales being down 44%. In that, uh, you know, April, they were down 74%. And the last two weeks of March, they were down 80 plus percent. So we're heading in the right direction. And uh, hopefully June comes in even more. I suspect that uh, by September, we're going to probably still be down most months through the summer. But by September, we'll start to see uh, it crank up a little bit um, in, in Canada, at least. You know, it's funny because I wanted to ask you how long you might see this um, sales decline lasting. Um, but I think the big question is um, sort of the fall season, new models start arriving. It is um, uh, uh, the second busiest shopping uh, quarter of the year. Do you see some sort of uh, normalcy returning in September, October when new models start arriving? What should we prepare for in those months? Yeah, I'm I'm with mixed minds on it. I do believe that we will start to see some normalcy, however you define that. The issue that I have is that 80-plus percent of demand is replacement demand. Uh, so repair, high kilometers, et cetera, et cetera. And with the uh, isolation that's been going on, the stay-at-home stuff, uh, consumers have not been driving. I don't know formally uh, how much kilometers driven is down, but it is down quite a bit, certainly in March, April, and even in May. And that demand, that wear and tear vehicle has not been happening. So I suspect that the demand loss because of the uh, stay-at-home orders uh, is gone. It's That's not like a normal uh, cyclical element of the industry where uh, because the stars don't line up, people s- sit on their hands, but they still drive. Right. This time, people are not only sitting on their hands, they're not driving. Right. And so, you know, I suspect that before we get back to the 2 million ranges, which would be considered uh, a more normal market, it could be another year and possibly into a second year. What do those low kilometers do to the lease market and in turn – the used market. Um, I just wonder, you know, you'll have people bringing back cars that are probably, um, if your assumptions are correct, 
uh, below their kilometer limit. And I just wonder how that affects the the lease and the used market after that. Well, um, if you're well under your kilometers driven, the, his, his, historically, consumers would buy out their vehicle. Um, and so that possibly what might happen, an increase in consumer buyouts. Right now, uh, well, historically, consumers buying out their vehicle at the end of the lease has been somewhere in the 15 to 25% range in Canada. In the U.S., it's down under 4 or 5%, but in Canada, we have a higher percentage. So that might pick up a little bit. The uh, you got to be careful about the used car market because it's not homogeneous like the new car market. You know, if you look at uh, a brand new Corolla, it's the same. Everyone is the same, no matter whether it's bought in Newfoundland or in in Victoria, BC. Every single used vehicle is different. So we tend to divide the used vehicle market into three broad groups, very loosely defined: the younger middle-aged and older, and there's an overlap. And from the people I've been talking to, the older used vehicles, which are the ones that are selling under $10,000 and certainly under a lot of them under $5,000, that market has actually been relatively hot. That, I think that's driven by some of the economics out there. Um, the younger used vehicle market is like the new vehicle market. It's down. Probably not as much as the new vehicle market, the average transaction price for a new vehicle is over 40k. The average transaction price for a vehicle is closer to 20 to 25k, and so it's doing better than the new vehicle market, but it's also down. So it's a confusing time, uh, and especially for the, the the guru group myself, who have to predict these things. Primarily because we've never seen it before, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. I mean, you've been in this industry for fifty years. Is there any past event that even remotely uh, comes close to this? And if there is, what is it? And and how did the industry get through it? Well, I um, uh, actually went through my database looking for a similar time frame. I've got monthly sales going back into the nineteen sixties. And I put it all together and highlighted, you know, the first oil embargo, for instance, back in 1973, and the second oil embargo back in 79, and the Gulf Wars, and the financial crisis back almost a decade ago now. And there was nothing to compare, uh, absolutely nothing. Um, and so, in many respects, it's a wild ass guess. What, it, what you come down to, as an analyst is that you got certain specific metrics that you rely on. You know, there's certain economic metrics, uh, employment growth and, and uh, wages and things like that. There are certain non-economic uh, metrics like kilometers driven, age structure of the vehicle, things like that. And then you have this amorphous one um, is uh, the, so you have your need to buy, variables, et cetera, et cetera. But you also have this interesting one where I, I call it the, the new product variable. Uh, nothing turns on the marketplace than some really fabulous new product. You know, you can vision yourself and myself driving down the 401 and you see the new XYZ drive by you and you kind of turn your head, snap your head and kind of go, wow, look at, look at that, you know? Right. Well, the consumers, consumers do that. And so it's a variety of things that you got to look at. And 
you know, the economic variables are, are not good. The need to buy variables, i.e. high kilometers, uh, need to repair, things like that are not good. But the new product variable um, should be reasonably strong, uh, not necessarily across the board. And so, um, you know, our models, as we, we have pretty sophisticated mathematical models that we use, show that the market, you know, on an annualized basis will be down three to 400,000 units. So instead of the one nine to two million that we were predicting, uh, somewhere in the one four one five range, it could, uh, if we have a really blowout uh, fall, uh, creep up into the one five to one six range. You mentioned uh, service briefly there, and when you look at kilometers driven, I mean, the more kilometers you drive, the more you need your vehicle serviced. Um, we sort of heard from dealers and some analysts who thought, "Geez, during this." shut down, there will be leases that need to come back, there will be um, tire changes that have been put off, oil changes that have been put off. Do we see a, a rush initially when things start to open, and they have been opening, but then that fall off because people haven't been driving? What happens in the service bay? Well, you can look at service from two broad categories. The uh, You have no choice to get it done, the uh, kinds of things. And then there's the, so I call it, you know, the maintenance side of the repair side of the industry and then there's the regular maintenance side so you should be having your oil change a couple of times a year your wipers in the in the winter and things like that the regular maintenance stuff uh is going to be there any safety item will be there if you've got uh you know that little indicator on your brake that starts to squeal or your tires are are bald and you've you know, you feel your vehicle isn't as, as steady as in driving like it should. Those repairs will come back. The, uh, they have to have the repair side of the industry really will depend on whether something goes wrong. And something only goes wrong if you're driving. And so that side of the business is probably down a little bit. So this is brake job shocks, threats, things along those lines. Um, but the maintenance side is probably holding reasonably well. Everything is down, though. You know, when you've right. got the unemployment rates like the rat and the drop in incomes like the rat, you know, people don't have the money. They don't have the money. Yeah. Uh, speaking of money, um, you're great at segueing into my next question, Dennis. Um, we've seen Kia and then Nissan uh, offer up some pretty aggressive incentives. I just wonder if you expect more automakers to follow suit even after we saw sales be not as bad as we thought they would be in May. Yeah, I think that's a really difficult decision for all of the vehicle companies in that, um, you know, if you go back to uh, April and into May, people just weren't buying. And no matter what you did, it was going to be difficult to get a consumer into a car dealer, especially like in Quebec, the dealerships were closed. And a lot of the front end of dealerships across the country were closed. So why put incentives into the marketplace? So I don't think it's a case of whether they come out with some pretty aggressive incentives. I think it's going to be fairly universal. It's a case of the timing. It's when to push that button. Uh, there are certain types of vehicles that are short supply pickup trucks, for instance, light truck generally, uh, is, so your crossover utility vehicles and your sport utility vehicles, uh, are a little weak on inventory. And so, you know, do you really want to put a big incentive out for, uh, on, on a, on a product that where you don't have a product in the car dealership 
inventory to sell. The factories now are starting to uh, reopen. Uh, you know, the auto sector has got a stunningly complex logistics. Uh, it employs across North America in the manufacturing functions in the range of of uh, six or seven hundred thousand people. So the chances of having uh, the virus uh, end up being found in a factory once it opens is relatively high. The logistics are global as well, and some countries are ahead of the curve on this virus. Other countries are behind the curve, and who knows what could be affected. All it takes is one component, and you, know, you can't manufacture a vehicle. You know, If you can't get pistons, it's kind of hard to manufacture an engine. <laughs> sure. It is, know, uh, what do you do? Put a, put a vehicle on the road without a steering wheel? Uh, we don't have autonomous vehicles yet. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think it's going to be a while before uh, you get the production uh, humming again like it needs to. And all of the inventory uh, backlog filled. So that's why I'm saying more normalcy in the fall than in the summer. We're going to try to work this through over the next number of months. It will take months to figure it all out. Is is the virus the only thing or the biggest thing that can uh, derail this recovery in a hurry? I know we have elections coming up We ha- in the U.S. We have the USMCA coming into effect. But does it all boil down to the virus itself in terms of how long this recovery takes and what might derail the recovery itself? Well, the virus has got two sides to it, both of which have a lot of indirect implications. The the stay-at-home orders obviously means that people are not venturing out, don't need a, to replace their vehicle and things like that. So that's COVID-oriented. But also COVID has put 20 million Americans on the street and cut the wages of millions of others. And I don't know what the numbers for Canada are, but they have to be uh, pretty, they're pretty severe. And so, um, yeah, most everything comes down to uh, the uh, the pandemic. And so we got to get through this. And it's one of the reasons why to be very cautious. They're better off to be cautious in the near term rather than uh, open things up too quickly and all of a sudden see a second wave and shut everything back down um, in a few months. So this is why it's hard to call. You know, uh, yeah. you, you, you know. yesterday I went, uh, I had to go into the hardware store and I ended up at Home Depot and it was packed, to tell you the truth. I was a little worried walking around. They talk about distancing, but they're letting in an awful people in some of these stores. So, you know, where are we going to end up with? Um, I think we've got a little bit of water to flow under this bridge yet before we can truly say that uh, we're through it. Which segment is going to be the most negatively affected by the pandemic and why? And, and I'm talking in terms of sales. Which Which segment of vehicle will be most impacted? Well, one of the problems uh, that has arisen in the last six months is that the vehicle companies have decided to report quarterly rather than monthly. And so we have end of March sales, and but we don't have uh, April and May on a detailed level basis, and we won't have June sales until early July. And so we don't, e- even though that we do have 
couple of months under our belt, we can't look at anything to analyze it. The March sales uh, are a little bit revealing in that small passenger car, uh, passenger car had already been declining, but passenger car was hurt even more the last two weeks of March than it had relative to light truck, especially subcompact and compact car. Um, you got to believe intermediate car because daily rental is pretty well shut down. Certainly, uh, the airport rental, uh, and they're primarily intermediate, intermediate passenger car, intermediate light truck. That segment is hurt. Um, as you get away from the urban areas, uh, there's less of a pandemic issue. Um, I'm told that there's cities across Canada that have not had any single case, not, not one. Um, and they tend to be more on the light truck, pickup truck, and things like that. You get out into the rural areas, and it's all pickup truck. So those segments will be really strong. I do know uh, personally, I don't want to say the number because it's very, that anybody who is at my age, I'm de- dependent on RSPs and on my investments. And they were absolutely slaughtered uh, in March and April. And that's called the wealth effect. You know, I felt pretty poor. Uh, this month is a little bit better. And it's this wealth effect that was at the root of the luxury market in Canada doing so well. Back a decade ago, it was only 3 4% of the market. Last year, it was 12%. So a quadrupling of the luxury market. And an awful lot of that was what I would call uh, entry-level luxury buyers, or maybe this isn't fair, but pretend luxury buyers. People who <laughs> aspire to luxury vehicles, they could get an inexpensive lease, get the deal, and hey, I have the entry-level Bimmer or Mercedes or Audi, et cetera, et cetera. And you got to believe it's the entry-level luxury buyer that's been hurt more than others. So I suspect that the premium-slash-entry-level luxury market, uh, it was down a lot in March. Um, as a result of COVID, we believe, uh, when we see June and July, May, June and July numbers or April, May and June numbers, I should say, uh, I suspect that to be heard a little bit as well, but all of this is quite frankly, a bit of a wild ass guess. Uh, we don't have the data, um, to actually prove it. So we're just going on word of mouth and, uh, the little bit of data we have from the first quarter. If you were, I'll leave you on this. If you were a dealer right now, um, whether you owned one store or multiple stores, how are you feeling looking five, six months, even 12 months out right now? Boy, I, I um, you know, the, the dealers are some of the a very widespread uh, situation with car dealers. Um, there are some that reacted very quickly. And their, their sole goal was just to get to the other end. And if they get to the other end of this um, and, and survived it, and uh, they're going to be really well positioned to do well. And to get to the other end, they, you know, they laid off virtually everybody except maybe the sales manager. They cut out most of the third party. They went and got rent relief and lease relief and uh, pounded the door of their factories to try to get some money, et cetera. At the other end, there's an awful lot of car dealers that have put millions and millions, in fact, some have put tens of millions of uh, dollars into their operations uh, under the image programs. And, you know, the banks aren't allow you, aren't, aren't let them out of their mortgages and, 
and the debt that they have. And so I, I think on the other end, there's going to be some real uh, devastation on the fringe of the car dealer network as well and everything in between. So I, I think the fringe negative isn't going to be overwhelming, mind you. I don't know whether it's 100 stores that are in trouble or 500, but it's down in that range. Uh, I think most stores are going to get to the other end, and you're going to see a lot of activity, uh, uh, M&A work and things like that. I think it's going to be pretty positive uh, for the dealers that are trying to grow. So the groups will, will grow and become more powerful. You also might see some of the uh, more powerful dealers uh, stand up to their factories a little bit more. Uh, they typically cave and they do exactly what the factory wants. Now they have a pretty decent excuse to resist some of the image programs and some of the technology programs that the factories are throwing out there. Although it, that will be, you know, uh, a case by case situation. Dennis, you've been in the industry for uh, 50 years, half a century. Um, always a pleasure to talk to you. A wealth of knowledge. I appreciate being on the show. Um, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Once again, we reached Dennis at his summer home in cottage country. If you want to be a guest, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment on the show, email me at glason at autonews.com. And that does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you join us next time. So long, everybody.